This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On this week's episode of ContraZoom, we're going to be celebrating ContraZoom. It is the seventh anniversary um, on April 21st, and this podcast was started by Dakota and I believe another, but we'll get into that in a second, on in 2015. So it's been a solid seven years. I started in on this, I think, about a year-ish ago now. Um, so I'm fairly new to the ContraZoom pod history. Um, but you might be aware of one of the segments, I guess, on the show uh, called Better Know a Contributor that Dakota does with regular contributors. I've done an episode. You know, Callum's done one. Steph has done one. Um, and it's just to get to know the regular contributors a bit better. And I thought it would be fun to turn the tables on Dakota and get to know him a little bit more. Um, but also get to know the show a little bit better. So a little bit of a different episode for us this week, not necessarily about any movie in particular, but about your favorite host and mine, Dakota Arsenault. So Dakota, how are you doing? Wow, that's uh, that's quite the introduction. I'm, I'm great. <laughs> I can already tell Bill is going to love this episode. It should be fun. I feel like it'll be one that will give people more insight into you and therefore more ammunition for Bill in particular <laughs> i don't um, think he needs I, any more <laughs> I, like you know you can always use more it's absolutely fine so um typically you ask us about how do you know actually how many better know a contributor i i named three off the top of my head yeah the only one that you missed was sammy sammy okay oh yes mm-hmm. of dune of the yes. dune fame yes. of, dune of dune fame, fame. right <laughs> um so you typically ask us i think it's about 10 questions mm-hmm. i'm gonna take some of those Um, But what I think you've actually answered a lot of them throughout your many, many episodes um, on ContraZoom. So we're going to skip over a few. And but we'll we'll start with the big one, which is what is your favorite movie of all time? So let's start there. Yeah, so this is as most people probably can attest to if you're a movie lover is kind of a very hard question to answer. And Mm -hmm. we'll maybe sort of vary on what genre or whatever that you're, you're wanting to watch or how you're feeling that day or, you know, what time of the day it even is or what you had for lunch, things like that. It can definitely change what your favorite movie is. So I, I always say whenever I'm asked that, I say I don't have a favorite movie. I have four favorite movies. And and so it's pretty easy to say that these are the four that I think have, have made a pretty big impact on me mm-hmm. and help shape who I am as a mu- movie watcher. And so I would okay. say they are... Uh, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, Snatch, Twelve Angry Men, and Rafifi. So I feel like I kind of cover a wide variety of genres that sort of really help encompass who I am as a person and, and the sort of things I like. You know, you get I've got the comedy with Life Aquatic, the very dry comedy. I've got the sort of heightened action, bantery stuff in Snatch. I've got the the serious courtroom drama with Twelve Angry Men, and then both my love for international cinema and uh, noir, you have Rafifi, which is a great crime, a French crime film. So I feel like that that kind of really covers my basis of whenever I'm asked that question, those are my go-tos. After that, if I'm rounding it out, it's probably something like The Social Network and Scott Pilgrim versus The World, and those are kind of like maybe the, the, the next ones up. But like, I'm sure if I were to ask you right now, which I already have before, I can't remember what your answer was, I'm sure you gave multiple movies as well did you not 
I did. Yeah. And I think I also explained how much I hate this question because it's like you said, it's tough defining favorites. And like, I think it's impressive if somebody says this is my one particular favorite movie. I think if you, you put like a gun to my head, I can probably say Casablanca is my favorite based off of the fact that I've seen it many, many times, probably more than any other movie. But yeah, I, I would do the same as you. But I would say, so you say it runs the gamut of like different genres. But instantly when you said that, I thought, oh, so this like Life Aquatic covers your hipsterness. <laughs> okay. Snatch is bro, like pure, pure bro-ness because mm-hmm. everyone knows Dakota's a real bro. Real bro. And then, <laughs> an absolute bro. Um, and then I would say 12 Angry Men is like classic. That's a, like very classic cinema. And that probably express like looks at more of your cinephile-ness um and then Rafifi is probably what I make fun of you a lot for which is kind of that international I don't think it's snobby but I think some people might consider it pretentious Mm -hmm. or snobby but I I personally wouldn't consider it that but yeah that's nice that's a good I feel like solid four that does represent you as I know you so that's um check you've passed well done <laughs> well <laughs> done you passed my sh- test the lie detector says that uh, those answers are correct <laughs> yes those are correct those are absolutely correct and it's very like i i always find favorite movie as, as much as i don't like the question it is an interesting um way of looking at somebody's taste and like usually a lot of people choose stuff that they like from their childhoods you know what i mean mm-hmm. like things like I know Ghostbusters for a lot of people our age is, is a big one because that just kind of is one that you look back on with um, maybe a bit of rose tinted glasses, but they, it, I mean, Ghostbusters is a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the flip side of that, I actually love this question and you've asked me this, um, you've asked everybody this, uh, but I, I really like this question, which is what is the most underrated movie that you would want more people to see? It's funny. That's, this is a question where I like asking it. But I also don't like answering it because I find <laughs> defining what is underrated is, is tricky. Yeah, true. Because I would say um, a couple of movies from my my favorite list that I just said, if you're just a casual movie watcher, you've probably, you know, if you're not watching up to date on your, your black and white movies, you probably don't know what 12 Angry Men is. Or mm-hmm. if you're not big in, you know, watching foreign films, you probably don't know what Rafifi is. And so in that case, that they could be considered underrated. But I would definitely not consider 12 Angry Men an underrated movie by any stretch because, you know, it's one of the all-time greats. Even something with Life Aquatic, it's probably one of Wes Anderson's lesser-known ones. And a lot of people probably only know his his most recent big ones stuff like grand budapest and um and french dispatch so is that underrated i don't know so you know i was going through my letterbox list my 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 diary and just sort of sorting by highest ranked and and trying to like scroll out and be like well was this considered underrated What, what, what is what is considered underrated and so the one i kind of landed on there's a movie I've talked about a few times on the show, and that's Devil in a Blue Dress, the the Carl Franklin directed film starring Denzel Washington, where it's it's based on a pulp novel, and they turned it into this movie. So once again, going with my love of of noir, and it's um, and it's a great crime story, but because of the fact that the lead is a African American, 
Denzel playing this um, private investigator, he has to go through all the the usual tropes that a private detective has to go through while also having to deal with the racism of uh, 1920s Los Angeles at the same time. So it's it's got this very unique spin on it because every once in a while while the story's going, it's like, all right, and now hold up, we're going to deal with the sort of the actuality of what someone of this time period had to go through just to live their life. So it's a very fascinating movie. I loved it. Fantastic supporting performance from Don Cheadle as well. And this really explosive character. Uh, no one had ever really seen much of Don Cheadle by this time. And, and it was such a great turn for him. But uh, I, I was, I'm always, I watched this, I think two years ago for the first time, it just blew my mind. And I never really see it on, on letterbox lists or people talking about it. As far as Denzel Washington movies goes, you could probably name 20 other movies before you even get to this one. You'd probably be like, I think I've named all of Denzel's movies and then realize that you've never even heard of this movie before. Antoine, if you love stuff like uh, L.A. Confidential, you would definitely love this movie because it, it takes place at the same time. You get like this modern cast doing this like throwback 1920s pulp uh, style movie. Really terrific. Uh, I can't remember. Have you seen this one, Rachel? I haven't. Um, I think okay. you mentioned it in our film noir episode. Yes. That would make most and sense, wouldn't it? That you like the one that we did. Ooh, I think this past November we did like a noir. We did a noir vember episode. Yeah, noir vember. I think you mentioned it in that one, and I remember thinking, I thought I've seen most of Denzel's stuff, or at least <laughs> I know of Denzel's stuff, like because he yeah. is pro- one of my favorite actors. And um, yeah, that one. But I mean. I think a big part of it probably has to do with the fact that it is Denzel Washington. And because he has so many great, 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 great movies um, and they've done really well, like at the box office, like he kind of came of, of um, came of age as an actor during a really good time because his movies that could be considered a little art housey, they're actually like blockbuster films. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, I don't know if he would have gotten that same block um, box office success. So I think a movie, um, like uh sorry what was it called again the blue blue dress devil in a blue dress i think something like that like it can kind of go under the radar like i know actually very recently a movie of his mississippi marsala um that just got a new restoration and a re-release and that's been like a new discovery for a lot of people as well under denzel's work so he's i'm sure has a lot of hidden gems underneath them but that i should really watch that there's two that okay i'll add that to my list of movies that Dakota recommends that I should watch. The other being The Beguiled, which I still haven't watched. I do yes. I, I really um, think you'd, you'd enjoy this one. You love Denzel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also know you like crime films as well. So I think this would this would really be right up your alley. This is this is the type of movie that I think you can you could sort of safely recommend it to just about anyone and they'd enjoy it. It's one of those type of movies. That's nice. And I feel like we don't have enough of those these days. Do you know, do you know what year the movie's in? It sounds like a kind of 90s movie. Yeah, it came out in 95, so it was kind of 95. right at the start of when Denzel became a leading man, and right. this movie did terrible at the box office. They originally planned to make multiple films of this character that he was playing, Easy Rollins, and it just bombed at the box office, and, and the director, Carl Franklin, was always so disappointed that he never got a chance to make another one, which, uh. hey, at this point, I would still love for there to be a sequel to this. Uh, because you can pick up, you know, 20 years later, what is, what is this private investigator up to? You know, now that Denzel's older, things like that, what's, what's happening with this character in, in his life. So I would still be down for it, you know, transporting into the 1930s or whatever, 1940s. 
that'd be really cool actually like that'd be a nice revisit um mm-hmm. i don't i mean denzel doesn't seem to be working as much as he used to be but maybe that's something that he would be willing to dip back and do we could make it happen you and i yes of course denzel if you're listening yeah <laughs> yeah denzel if you're listening we can fund with our savings which probably isn't very much but you know we can do what we can with i'll throw with 20 bucks in i i got like 50 bucks on me right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'll, do I'll do that. 50. I'll match you. Yeah. Canadian. Uh, mind you, oh, Denzel, if you're watching, okay. this is all Canadian currency. So yeah. So this is That's... only going to be like $37 American. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real shame, isn't it? The economy is just <laughs> crumbling around us. Um, That's an awesome pick though. I really like that. I know like, I mean, even though you've mentioned on the show before, I think it's one just because it's Denzel. I feel like it's, I don't know if anybody would think that Denzel Washington has an underrated movie, but like you said, the term, the word underrated can be. It means different taken. things to different people. Yeah. yeah, of course. Like I, it, there are movies that I think some people think are absolutely terrible and other people go, Hey, like it's actually a really good movie um, or it just didn't get enough eyes on it. And that happens probably more times than not is good movies. Just don't get enough eyes. Um, but that's awesome pick. Uh, okay, so we're going to move to our last one, which is not our last question of this whole episode, but the last one just of your own um, personal movie tastes. And I think you might have covered this in um, the first question I asked you about your favorite movies. But if you could choose one movie of all the films that you've seen, probably when you were a kid, um, what is the movie that made you fall in love with movies? Now, am I allowed to be a little difficult in sort of make it a bit of a story no of course not okay no sorry yes you can be difficult and oh, okay. you can <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so i would say you know uh, as you're younger you're, you're sort of a watching things that are geared for you kids movies so you're not really realizing what a movie is you know you go to the theaters and you watch a disney movie or whatever and and you're like, oh, this is really cool. I enjoy this. But you're not really thinking about the the craft behind it. Or you're watching stuff that, like, your family is watching. And so you're maybe not even getting what the subject matter is even about. Because you're, you're just so young and you're not able to sort of process. You're just like, yeah, I'm enjoying watching something that my parents like. So I like it too sort of thing. So I would say, you know, after you pass that era, the, the first thing for me was when I was young, I don't know how young I must have been, maybe nine or 10 years old, maybe a little bit older. My mom borrowed from the library. We we do that lots, borrow movies from the library. And I was sort of curious. And so she decided to pick up, uh, I don't remember what order it was, but North by Northwest and The Birds, two classic Hitchcock films. And so we watched them. And that was sort of the first like real eye-opening thing for me like oh wow these are really interesting i, I want to watch more of them and then my mom doesn't like watching horror movies so she wouldn't rent she wouldn't borrow psycho <laughs> and i don't think that the library had any other hitchcock movies that i'm aware of or at least not ones that were maybe appropriate for for someone as young as i was because they are they could be quite suggestive as well mm-hmm. if you, you go back and you watch them, they're like wow these are a whole lot of innuendos you're throwing in here even north by northwest which is um uh, at times a pretty horny movie itself but uh yeah so those two would be the start but then i think the first one for me that like really was like oh this is this is my calling this is what i'm really into is probably when i watched 12 angry men i don't remember how old i was the first time i watched it i'm pretty sure i was maybe in like early high school 
maybe grade eight, grade nine, something like that. And and that was just something like I was like, wow, what is this movie? What are these performances? How are you able to have something that happens in a single room? And I could be so enthralled by it. And that's why it's on my my all-time favorites list because every time I watch it, I never get bored of it. I love that Henry Fonda performance. I love how subtle the movie is and you can go around and, and all 12 of the actors in this film are just so good and just like bringing their A game and standing, you know, toe to toe with Henry Fonda, who is one of the all-time greatest actors. And so that was pro- that would probably be the, the actual first real movie where – it really made me fall in love with with movies and the act of movie making and me wanting to know more about it. Like, oh, who is this Sunilamet guy? W- who is Henry Fonda? What what is all this sort of stuff going on? How do I know? How do I get to learn more about this? And that sort of, I guess, would be the beginning of my true love affair of movies. But it had to have started first with the two Hitchcock films in order to start that inciting incident later on, if that makes sense. That is the most incredibly sophisticated answer to that question I could have expected. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something like, I don't know. I mean, my, mine personally would be like Jurassic Park. And that's because, you know, it was such a spectacle. And we were of an age where that was like filled with quite a bit of wonder. And mm-hmm. not to say that Jurassic Park isn't um, a solid answer to that question, too. But it's like I was expecting something along the lines of a Jurassic Park or a uh, maybe even a Disney movie, like you said earlier, like that. Those are the kind of movies we watch. But of course, I'm talking to Dakota, and I was course, pretentious even as a child. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be Hitchcock movies and Twelve Angry Men, and that's yep. incredible. So I think you, I'm trying to rack my brain here, but since we're on topic of Hitchcock, you did mention you like when we did a um, back in December, we did a this or that episode, and I was kind of grilling you on directors did you pick a hitchcock movie like your favorite hitchcock movie um that's that's a tricky one because i would say the best is vertigo right oh Um, yes okay you did answer this so so yeah that's a tricky one where i think that is probably his best one if Mm -hmm. if i'm just wanting to have a good time and like throw on something that i'm gonna like have fun with afternoon vertigo isn't that one because that's that's such a a deep and intense film in one that's so layered and, and you, you can't just like throw that on for fun. There there's other ones, maybe rear window, uh, psycho strangers on a train that I, I are, are my idea of like a fun time sort of thing. It's funny. I, I have thrown on vertigo just for a casual afternoon watch before. Really? Interesting. I, I, oh, to me, it's like a, it's a real light entertainment. No, it's not, but that's just one of those movies that I think, um, yeah, I, I can throw that on really easily, but that makes sense. Birds to me, it's funny. You mentioned that your mom didn't want you to watch like horror movies like psycho and, um, those ones, but like to me, birds is one of the freakiest of Hitchcock's movies. And that might just be my own issue with birds mm-hmm. um, as an animal, but I think birds is a freaky, freaky movie. And I don't think I would have done well with it as a kid if I watched it as a child. Yeah. I'm pretty sure North by Northwest was the first one. Mm-hmm. and then that's a good like, one to start with though i think especially for yeah. like a young kid even though you say like there is a lot of suggestive language and dialogue but i mean like as kids you don't register that kind of thing no. like if you look at some of the lyrics that we were singing as children like for pop songs like from spice girls and o-town mm-hmm. those are the two that i can think of um we didn't know what the hell we were talking about so no. i feel like it, it kind of goes over but it's fun enough that like north by northwest has that 
and it's got the Cary Grant fun of it as well. So it's like, that's a good mm-hmm. movie, I think, for kids in a way. Yeah, I, I think I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that one was first. And then it was, hey, this guy is kind of known more for, you know, scary thriller movies. Do you want to keep going in that direction? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And so I think The Birds was sort of the follow up to that. We're like, hey, this is more his style being explained to me. I do think it, like, Birds to me is a very Hitchcockian like that. I know probably Psycho and maybe um, Vertigo, like we were talking about, might be more distinctive of him. But for me, Birds was always Hitchcock's thing. Like if you want to, if I want to introduce somebody to Hitchcock, I would show them Birds first, probably because mm-hmm. I think it's freaky, but not in an obvious way. I suppose like it kind of gets under your skin. Actually, yeah. it is obvious because Birds are freaky. I don't like Birds. <laughs> I don't like them. Um, okay, so let's change gears here a bit, and we're going to talk about the podcast itself. So, like I said at the very beginning, you started this podcast seven years ago. I know that you've had um, a few other co-hosts come in and out of the show, but do you want to? Let's talk at the beginning. What made you start a podcast to begin with? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so back when I was employed at Live in Limbo, a, a music review website mostly. We also did film reviews there. Uh, there was another guy who worked with me there who was also a really big movie buff. And, you know, so it was, it was great. We would, every time we would see each other at concerts and whatnot, the topics would shift from music to what was happening on stage to movies. And so anytime you get sort of two movie nerds together, you know, you don't really have to worry about what your conversation is going to be about because you're just going to start listing off random movies and be like, Oh, have you seen this? Oh, what do you think about that? What do you think about this? Have you seen this yet? Blah, blah, blah. Where are you watching lately? What do you plan to watch? So it was, it was such a natural, easy conversations to talk with him. His name is Andreas Babiolakis. He's a very intelligent um, film buff as well. And I was a fan of a, another movie podcast, one called Film Spotting, and I still am a fan of it to this day. And I was like, hey, I can kind of probably do something like this. I had wanted to start a podcast before. I wanted to do a music one before, and it never got off the ground with a different friend. And there was already a podcast on Live in Limbo called Capsule. And so I had approached Sean Chin, who is the owner of the website. And I was like, hey, Sean what do you think about uh, about Andreas and I doing a film podcast? He's like, that's a great idea. I love it. Let's do it. Because I wasn't too sure how much he wanted to branch out into non-music related things. Mm-hmm. So from there, Andreas and I kind of like spent quite a bit of time talking about this. We also had our day job. We worked together. Um, so we were able to kind of like brainstorm and bounce ideas off each other at work as well. And so that was sort of the genesis of it all. And trying to figure out what kind of a podcast we want to be. And and right from the get-go, I didn't want it to be a movie of the week sort of show. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I listen to some terrific podcasts that do do movie of the week shows, but that's just not what I want to do. I want it to be sort of more focusing on, you know, being able to jump around, do different sorts of uh, subject matter. At the time, the one of the big things that we really want to do was watch all the best picture winners. And so that was sort of the big first project that we were like, Hey, let's sort of alternate every once in a while. We'll do these, we'll go decade by decade, ranking the best picture winners, ranking them within their, their decade sort of thing. 
And obviously because doing something like that has a lot of homework because you have to watch 10 movies in order to do a single episode, we decided to break it up and be like, okay, we'll do it every, you know, every two months, three months, something like that, however long it will take us to get through this homework. And so that was our big first project that we really wanted to tackle. And it ended up taking us quite a long time. Andreas left the show before we even finished it. And Steph ended up taking over as being my guest to watch all these best picture winners so she, because she was already sort of watching most of them with me, I think mm-hmm. she would only miss maybe one or two, uh, per episode back when I was doing them with them with Andreas. So it was, it was a pretty natural conclusion where she was interested in watching them. She enjoys watching Oscar stuff with me still today. So it was, it was a very easy sort of, Hey, do you want to come on board and do this with me? The tricky thing was coming up with a name. And that, you know, it, it's it's always so hard coming up with a good name for, you know, a band, a, a movie, a podcast, whatever, whatever it is, because that's what you're putting out there. That's what you're branding. That's what you want people to, you know, uh, think of and associate with you, that it's, it's easy to remember. It's easy to say all that sort of stuff, which is, you know, I'm I'm no marketing person, but I kind of I know what you need to do in order to make something a, a name successful. And so we really want to call it Third Man the third man podcast or something like that, because we were both really big fans of, uh, of that Orson Welles movie. Uh, he doesn't direct it. I'm, I'm blanking on the director's name right now, but he stars in the movie. It's a, it's a great, uh, I don't want to call it a noir, even though it kind of is a noir, which, you know, this is noir is always going to come back into my life as something that really is, is who I am and, and what I am as a, as a movie watcher. And, I don't know if you know this because I know you're not like huge into music, but uh, Jack White of the White Stripes fame and his solo work, his uh, studio and label that he runs is called Third Man Records. I have tried to figure out if it is associated with the movie or not. I don't know. But because it's a music podcast and how well known and how famous Jack White is, my boss, Sean, was like, you can't call it Third Man, the Third Man. Like people are just going to be confused. They're going to think it's a music podcast. I don't know what sort of legal trouble we can get into, all that sort of stuff. And so both Andres and I were, were really pushing hard on me. Like we really like Third Man because like we had this idea of our, the intro where the, the idea of the, the Third Man comes from it was the two of us talking and then the listener was the third man, the third person because that's sort of – if anyone has ever seen the movie The Third Man, that's sort of what it's about. There's this sort of unseen person that is watching and listening in the shadows and that's the Orson Welles character who is presumed to be dead at the time. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to you know, recite the entire plot of that movie. It's a terrific movie if, you, if you've never seen it. Um, but yeah, so we would be like, hi, I'm Dakota and I'm Andreas. Um and you're the third man or something like that, or this is the third man podcast. I don't remember exactly how it was going to go, but I, I just felt so clever coming up with this tagline. <laughs> and, and eventually Sean kind of wore us down. He's like, y- you just can't do it. I won't, I won't allow it. And we're like, <laughs> fine. Okay. So like we must've, after that, it was like, okay, what, what are film terms or terminology that we can kind of come up with? And so we spent so much time just Googling, you know, different film term names and coming up with a giant list of of all different kinds of terminology. I wish I could remember it or still had this list. Most of them, right away, you look at them and be like, I'm going to write this down even though I know it's a no, it's a stupid idea, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so eventually I came across, you know, the, the terminology a dolly zoom, which 
for anyone that doesn't know what a dolly zoom is, uh, it's when you have the the camera on a dolly track. So if you've ever seen how films are made, they'll they'll put down tracks on the ground and then they put a, car, a camera cart on it and then the, it can go. So that way it's like a smooth gliding motion and it doesn't look like someone's like shaking a camera around because they're walking. And a dolly zoom is when you pull the camera on the tracks backwards while zooming inwards or vice versa, pushing the, the, the dolly inwards and zooming out. And it gives this disorienting feel. Most notably, it was created by Alfred Hitchcock in Vertigo in the famous bell tower sequence when, when James Stewart uh, looks over the bell tower and his vertigo kicks in. And then all of a sudden, the tower looks longer and shorter at the same time. And it makes you almost feel like you want to throw up. It's just such a disorienting thing. And then famously reused many times over, most notably on uh, in Jaws, on the beach scene when when Roy Scheider's character thinks he sees the shark in the water and he's it does this crazy zoom in. And so we're like, that's really interesting. And then beside Dolly Zoom, other names for this is ContraZoom. And like, that's a great name. I really like this name. So that sort of was the one that we kept going back to. We're like, this is a really cool name. I think it really works. It's it's a film term. It stands out. It's different. I've never heard anything else called this before. Let's go with this. And so we went with that, and, and Sean was like, yes, I will, I will agree to host this show on my website. You just can't do something that will get us into legal trouble like calling something Third Man. Uh, so that's how the name ContraZoom ended up coming about, and, and Andreas and I did that. And he was with the show for a couple of years, and then we had a bit of a, a, a personal falling out, and so he left the show, and then I didn't know what to do, and we had another film reviewer, writer on on staff at Live and Limbo, uh, a different Rachel. Um, she came on the show for a little bit, and it was maybe only a few months, it just sort of not ended up working out. She, she was going back to school and just wasn't able to focus on this, so she stepped away from it. And then from there, I just kind of went through a rotating group of people of, of people I can have on, including you at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually I realized like we had really good chemistry. We work well together. Um, you, I don't want to say we have similar, completely similar taste in movies, but similar enough that if I were to uh, propose a topic or an idea to you or vice versa, you to me, that it would be pretty, it would be a pretty easy sell for the most part. Obviously our, our favorite movies and, styles and genres or whatever are different but for the most part we're pretty agreeable in the stuff that we like to watch we like also covering uh film festivals and doing interviews and you know watching old movies and watching new obscure movies and watching movies that aren't in english and blah 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 and so i think having you on board was was sort of i think the 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 perfect culmination of, of the previous five and a half six years whatever it was of everything coming together. And when you did your first guest appearance, which was, uh, interestingly enough, uh, back to Hitchcock, uh, make yeah. remake of Rebecca was your first episode and you coming on and doing that. And I don't think you, you came back for a few months after that. I can't remember what your second episode was. Do you remember what it was? It was, uh, in time for Lunar New Year. And it was like a celebrating Asian American, cinema right yes yes because i had done the the two episodes with naomi around the same time yeah. about uh celebrating japanese cinema and yeah and then so you came on and we were talking about asian american films specifically so mm-hmm. uh a bit different than than the japanese cinema it was focusing mainly on movies in english featuring predominantly all asian casts or asian filmmakers 
And, and so I think that was a really great one because you had taught me so much and exposed me to some really interesting new movies that I hadn't seen, specifically something like Better Luck Tomorrow, the Justin Lin film. Great. And movie. from there, I think it was pretty easy where I knew I wanted you on more and more. Mm-hmm. And then it just got to the point where I, I, I kept going back and be like, I want Rachel on, I want Rachel on, I want Rachel on. Why don't I just make you the permanent co-host? <laughs> and and it just like, it worked so well. And this past year and a bit, I think since you've been co-hosting with me, I think they've been some of the best episodes we've done, frankly. Oh, that's nice. I think one <laughs> thing that works well with us is we both have an appreciation, like an objective appreciation for film. Um, and so even if it's not necessarily like the genre that I lean to, or maybe a certain director that I lean to, it's like, or, and, and vice versa for you as well. It's like, we can kind of take a bit of an arm's length approach to film and just be like, appreciate the filmmaking that went behind it. And then to complement that is the fact that I think it's good that you and I don't like the same movies all the time. Like, you know, I I think it would be a relatively boring discussion <laughs> if we just always were in agreement with each other that oh yeah that film's amazing and no no we don't like that movie. Um, so I would I think say more yeah. often than not we usually are in agreement though. I think we both can find like we both agree on what makes a movie good. Like I think yeah. that that's the case. But I think in terms of like what is like for I I would even say like the four movies that you said compared to like my four movies like I think those two people look very different on the surface kind of thing like if I were to give a, a four it would probably be like Casablanca Lion King Sound of Music and Speed and those would be different enough to your picks that it would be like you would think you're talking to two very completely different types of movie lovers but in in fact yeah. like I think we're very aligned in many ways but I think that that's what works is like we we have the objectivity that I think that you do need when, because we do, uh, we don't review films all the time on here, but like we both do that like on, on occasion, whether it's writing it or, you know, when we're talking about, especially film festival coverage. Um, And so I think when you're able to be objective, but then add in your own subjective preferences, I think that that's what makes for an interesting film critic in general. And I think it's good that you and I, not that it's not that it's good that we agree on the objective, but I think uh, on the objectivity rather, um, I think it's helpful like that we have a diversity in opinion. Um, and like you, I think are actually more, much more well-versed on like European cinema as well. So it's like, you can bring in that stuff and, and it's more, it's interesting to me anyways. Like I learned a lot from you. Like I've taken up, picked up a lot of movies and probably watched some stuff that never in a million years, I don't think I would have watched it. Not because they're not good movies, but it's just because, there are a lot of movies out there and it's <laughs> tough to know what to watch sometimes. Like, um, and I saw this on Twitter. I don't know who you were responding to, but somebody kind of, I think posted up a question and I call it, I don't know who this was, but they were basically saying like, I'm trying to watch a lot of old movies, but I'm also trying to stay up to date with new ones. Oh, How yeah. do you do that? Like that? It, Cause it is really, really tricky when you're constantly trying to watch what's been released in 2022, you know, like you want to make sure you're up to date, but at the same time making time for the older films um, because you know that, and like, that's, I think the other thing is you and I both appreciate the fact that we don't get the movies that we have today in 2022 without a lot of the movies from, and a lot of filmmakers from 
the 30s and 40s and 50s, you know. And I, I think it's also good you and I don't mind black and white movies. Because apparently some people do not like black and white movies. It always <laughs> boggles my mind. Yeah, I didn't actually know that until maybe a couple years ago. And somebody made that comment to me. They were like, I don't like black and white movies. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Because I've never thought of black and white movies as a separate type of movie. Yeah. It, it's like, you know, the film quality or like the the grain that you would see in an unremastered vision version, sorry, from movies from like the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s, it doesn't look as clean and crisp as we have today. It is in color, obviously, but that's to me, it's like they're still movies and I don't really mm-hmm. differentiate between that. But that, that, that boggled my mind too. Uh, but the point I was trying to make is I, I do think you and I make a really good team um, because we have a nice variety between the two of us. And I think that we cover a lot of ground and then add in, you know, guests like Sammy, who I'm clearly just very in love with Sammy apparently at this point, because his, his Dune episode is just so good. And like, you have people mm-hmm. who have such a specialized knowledge or like Bill, you know, like with the Oscars having such, such a great knowledge of a, of a particular area of movie that you and I um, might not have. Uh, I always think that that makes for a nice, well-rounded show yeah i i completely agree um we complement each other well because we we know we have our blind spots Mm -hmm. and i think your blind spots match up well with what i know and my blind spots match up well with you know and so we're able to have good discussions I'm really liking with our um, A24 retrospective series when we do our double bill pairings, how often the movie that I pick or the movie that you pick, the other person hasn't seen it. And I think that's great because it's so crazy that you can think of a a movie to to do a double bill and the fact that both of us have seen so many movies Mm -hmm. and you look at it and you can come up with two completely different answers and both of them are like very acceptable and valid answers of what this would make a good double bill pairing objectively. And also very representative of like who you and I are as again, as movie watchers and um, like where are my pretentiousness. Yeah. And my just undying love for the 90s, apparently. <laughs> I, I didn't know I had such an affection for the 90s, I think, until I started doing the show. And everything I started talking about was like, oh, yeah, remember this movie from like 1997? It was a great movie. And I was like, oh, I think I like the 90s more than I re- I'm, I'm very nostalgic for, for my childhood, apparently. Um, but OK, that's a lot of uh, back padding on our part and talking about mm-hmm. why we think this show is so great. But Let's talk a bit about challenges that you've had. So you've been doing the show for seven years. You've had um, a few, you know, co-hosts come and go. And you talked about, you know, you and Andreas had a bit of a personal falling out. And obviously you don't need to get into that. But when you're doing the show, what has been for you the biggest challenge um, in whether it was when you were having co-hosts and maybe you didn't see eye to eye anymore, like the relationship change or something like doing it on your own. Cause I actually don't know how you did so many episodes on your own because um, I find that incredibly impressive that you were able to persevere so much. So um, for you over the course of the last seven years, what's been the biggest challenge as a podcast creator and host? Uh, I think, I think it has changed over, over the, the, the seven years. What was a challenge for me at the beginning isn't mm-hmm. so much anymore. And, in, in new challenges sort of emerge because 
this will never be a finished product. Obviously, mm-hmm. if I ever stop, if we ever stop the show, it's finished in the sense of it's done, but it's not finished in the sense of me wanting to ensure that the quality is always improving, that it's always interesting, that I'm able to make it as professional sounding as possible, all this sort of stuff. So in that sense, any t- I feel like anytime I feel like I've sort of mastered a, a technique or way of doing it, there's a new way of doing things. You know, if I if I really want to, you know, right now I'm I'm sitting on my bed in my bedroom, uh, <laughs> speaking into a microphone with a laptop on my on my lap. Um, if I if I had the money, I would love to set up like a more of a personal studio space and and have even better sound quality and you know make sure that all. Of, the guests always have the best of high quality microphones and all this sort of stuff. You know, that's, that's sort of beyond the scope of what I'm able to do anyway. So that's not really a challenge in the sense of would I like to do it. Yes, but that's not really a feasible thing. So in the sense of challenges, I would say in the beginning, it was consistency. Mm-hmm. If you look, I, I re-uploaded all the shows. Uh, and on, if you go to contrazoom.com, uh, you can see I, I backdate it when they originally uh, were posted. So you can see the original days that they were posted. If you look at that, you will see that they were not consistently coming out. Originally, we tried to do it bi-weekly, but there would sometimes be a month, a month and a half without a show, mainly because we didn't have time, uh, we didn't have an episode idea, all, all this sort of stuff. So consistency at the beginning was was the key. I know the biggest thing you need to do when you have something like a podcast is have consistent releases so your audience will always know when your show is coming out and and what time. And so for the last few years, it's been a Tuesday release that we do. And uh, so I, I usually soft launch it on a Monday and then it comes out on Tuesday uh, where we start promoting it. But the other thing is we've been able to start doing weekly episodes uh, for the last year and a bit, almost two years, I would say, actually, basically since the pandemic, I've been able to to adjust to doing a weekly schedule. And there's been quite a few times where I'm like, oh, man, I have no idea what we're going to do in two weeks. I, I, I don't think we have the content or the time or stuff like that. And for some reason, we've always managed to to stay on track. There's been, you know, a few times where like around Christmas, we'll take a little break just because, you know, we, we both have way too many things going on. I'm not going to force you to sort of, you know hide out at a, a family holiday get together to record an episode for us to talk about some dumb movie or whatever. I'm not, I'm never going to do that. We're not getting paid to do this. If we're, if, if the day comes that we're raking in money, that's the day that I'll be like, no, no Christmas Eve, we're recording an episode. I'm paying you to do this. <laughs> but until that day comes, you know, if we're unavailable to do things, we're going to make sure we take this, the time and and step back and do that. But I think otherwise, we've been very consistent. So that was, that was the big, that was the big challenge at the beginning was, was being consistent with it. And then also coming up with episode ideas that are interesting. I often have people be like, Oh, you should do an episode about this or, or whatever. I was like, yeah, sure. But like, where, what's the actual hook of it? Where, where, where's the, the meat of the conversation going to come from you just throwing a movie out and being like, Hey, we should talk about this movie. Great. What's it, what's it relating to? What's the context? Because usually anytime we do, you know, focus on a single movie, there's a reason behind it. Um, 
And I'm not just talking about our A24 retrospective, but that's something where we're taking a single movie, but we're tying it back to the theme of covering all of A24's movies. If it's something like Dune, it's because it's it's a new release and we're tying it back to how the fact that it's a remake. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. I can't think of any time that we've just reviewed a movie for the sake of reviewing a movie. Because so when that's we talk not your about show. Movies, it's, yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. And and it's it, that's something that's always been sort of tough when I'm trying to like get guests and I'm like, hey, I'd love to have you on. If if you have any ideas, let me know. And and I and I don't know if they get what I'm asking or if they get what the show is about. So sometimes booking guests can sometimes be hard to do in that sense. I basically when I want people to come on i have to approach them with this is the plan is this something that you are interested in would you want to talk about it in this format directly and and so that was that was sort of a bit of a challenge as well and that was something that was that was really tough when i was doing it on my own was finding people that i could you know have conversations with when it's only me coming up with the ideas and i don't have someone else to bounce ideas off so that was a little tricky Back then, I was also doing it bi-weekly still, and so I was kind of going back to the same four or five people where I was like, hey, basically about once a month, once every two months, I'm going to ask you if you can come on. And so that was sort of easy where I wasn't asking a lot of any one individual person, but as a whole, it w- it made it a bit easier for me to spread it out. And then I'm always wanting to make sure that this, more than anything, I want the the audio quality to be good. I listen to some podcasts <laughs> where it doesn't matter how interesting they are or or how good the discussion is or how smart the hosts are, if their audio sucks, it it can be a real slog to get through. And so yeah. finding the right mixture of equipment that I use and recording equipment that we use and and having someone like you that has uh solid audio as well where all sounds like I don't I don't think this sounds like we're in a professional recording studio, but as close as we can get there for being an independent company, independent podcast that does not utilize that sort of equipment. And so I'm I'm very proud of of the sound quality. And anytime someone compliments me on that, that that makes me more happy than just about anything where they're like, Oh, your sound quality was excellent. I really enjoyed it. I'm like, yes, that means I'm I'm still nailing it. And that's something I I, I always take pride on. I think that's and like the music side things, of you. That's like the music kind of bit of you where you're just like the audio needs to be top quality. Exactly. Exactly. And in learning how to edit in things like uh, trailers or if I'm inserting audio clips, sometimes we'll we'll talk about interviews or whatnot or, or moments that happen and we'll th- I'll splice that in. And, and knowing how to do that, I, I'm completely self-taught on all this stuff. I edit on GarageBand. And I know that's probably not the the best way. I know a lot of people edit on Audacity or similar programs like that that make podcasts. But uh, I, I'm completely self-taught. I, I don't remember if I watched any videos or not. I maybe did. I use very minimal you know, techniques with my editing. It's mostly just playing with the, the audio levels and things like that. But I love when I'm able to... You know, if if you make a joke and I'll, uh, you know, insert the the actual movie that you're quoting at the same time, I'm always proud of that and give myself a little pat on the back. And, and you know, I'll like wait for someone to notice and be like, oh, hey, I enjoyed that moment. And they're like, yes, completely justified. <laughs> All I need is one person to notice that I, I did it. And then that sort of makes my day. So I really enjoy, you know, 
the challenge of how to make it sonically interesting by adding clips and and what have you in. And I think I, I think I do a, a pretty good job of that. And it's something I'm, I'm proud of. Uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, Oh yeah, I'm proud of how intelligent I sounded on, on whatever. No, I'm, I'm proud of the, the techniques that I could do where I can be like, Hey, this, this is, this is something I learn and implement it myself. And, and so that would be an ongoing challenge of one that I really enjoy trying to overcome. And I think now at this point, the, the biggest challenge is keeping the consistency of doing it every week. The fact that we're able to do that. And I think what makes going back in a roundabout way to the last question of uh, complimenting you is how helpful it's been that you have been there to help brainstorm ideas as well. And that was something that Andreas wasn't always great at. It was a lot of me doing it. Rachel Rose, the original Rachel, uh, never came up with any episode ideas. When I was doing it by myself, I basically was obviously coming up with all the ideas myself. Sometimes I would have a little bit of help. Like if, uh, like Sammy would be like, Hey, this is coming up uh, down the line. Would you want to do an episode about this? Uh, stuff like uh, D 23 or different Marvel things. It would always be like, Oh yeah, great. That's a, that's a fantastic idea, Sammy. I'm going to utilize your skill set and try to make an episode around that. So if you listen to any of those episodes from that era where Sammy was guesting more frequently, you'll definitely see his influences on the show. And since you came on, it's been really great sort of like, loosening my grip on I need to do everything by myself and and have you assist with, you know, coming up with ideas and helping brainstorm guests and show things and taking over with, you know, being the, the leader of the episode by writing the scripts and whatnot. It's been a huge, huge burden off of me. The fact that every once in a while, like, I'm like, hey Rachel, this this is this is a Rachel episode. I need you to take the lead, and you're and you're always fully down for that. And so every time you do, I'm always like, I love this. I think we've got a great relationship with this. I'm always so happy when you do. So um, this is me publicly thanking you, so everyone can hear that. You're welcome, Dakota. And ironically speaking, I didn't realize I needed to do an introduction for this episode, and so that was a, a little brief awkwardness at the very beginning when we first started recording this one. But um, Maybe I, you'll throw that clip at the very end of the episode <laughs> so people could hear that. I noticed it was still rolling. I was like, "Oh, damn it! He's going to throw this at the end, isn't he?" Uh, <laughs> it is ironic, but yeah, I mean, I I enjoy doing that stuff, but I don't know why. I just completely skipped my mind that I probably should write an intro for this um, for this episode, but. One thing I want to talk to you about that I've personally genuinely always wondered, and I don't think I've ever actually asked you, I don't know why I've never just asked you this. Um, when you were doing it on your own, uh, what kept you motivated to do it? Because speaking from myself, like if it were just me doing it, and you can kind of, you talk about inconsistency um, when you guys first started. And I struggle with that myself, like with, I, I've been doing more and more um film criticism and like interview writing and things like that. And I find it really tough to be steady and consistent because, you know, you have a day job and you're trying to do other things, but it's, uh, it's so tough when you're on your own sometimes. And I don't know how you continued on to even get to the point where it's like you and I started doing a show together. Do you know what I mean? Like, because there, there was a gap where you were just doing it by yourself. And so what kept you motivated to keep on persisting and keep on doing it, even though I know it must've been incredibly difficult. Um, yeah, that it, it was for, for a little bit, it was something that was very difficult. And 
I think the biggest thing is I didn't want the show to end. I really mm. enjoy making this podcast. Uh, you know, we're, we're not the most popular movie podcast out there. I, I'm fully aware of that. And it was just, I enjoy doing this. This is something that I like to do. Why am I going to stop doing something I enjoy just because I'm at the moment host, guest, co-hostless? I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> um, yeah, I that that really was it was the the main motivating factor of I didn't want to give this up, uh, mm-hmm. and I had hoped that I'd eventually figure something out, whether or not I was able to maintain long term that I could do it by myself or that I would eventually get another co host. I didn't know, uh, but but I figured something something would eventually work out, and in the end, it did. Um, after I left Live in Limbo, I was briefly partnered with uh, Aesthetic Magazine and their website, another music-based website, and uh, it was it was someone that was excited about having me on their brand as well. So I think having someone else sort of believe in you is makes it a lot easier to continue because you can have your own self doubt, but if someone else is expressing their support for you it usually makes things a lot easier to do and and so that was that and kind of once I got the ball rolling of like you know I can kind of do this you know I was doing more interviews at the time so it was a little bit easier to kind of balance out getting guests and whatnot um yeah I I it just comes back to me wanting to to keep doing it because I was enjoying it and and clearly it worked out because we're still doing this now I found you and you were a great fit and all that sort of stuff so yeah I'm that was it, basically. I like that. That's just like just you enjoying the process of doing it, even though, you know, like you said, like we're not getting paid to do this, but maybe one day we do get like a cash cow coming through. Who knows? Um, but it's not like there was any financial gain for you to continue doing it. It's not like there was any even professional gain like to continue to do it, you know, like not at the time. It wasn't like it was directly related to what you were doing for a living. So it, it like I find that really uh, interesting, such a boring word to say for that. But it's just like it's it's very kind of inspiring almost of how you're able to continue on when you're by yourself. Because I, I know that that must have been really tough to just like constantly having to do things on your own, even if you're having guests come in and, and, and fill in some of the roles. But that motivation to keep going, um, I find very admirable because – I'll be honest, speaking for me, I might have folded a while ago because it's tough. Like, I think it's just tough to keep yourself motivated. But when you when you have something that you really, really enjoy doing, then, um, yeah, it obviously works. And clearly it has for you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. You made a move. Uh, what was it, last year now? All the way over to Vancouver. And since this episode is a bit about like a better get get getting to know Dakota better, are you naming it better Noah Dakota? That was just kind of my joke <laughs> title for the. No, for I think the I'll also call it Better Noah Contributor and then put my name after it. Like, so I, just I've to been keep the formatting the same in my notes. I've been calling this episode Better Noah Dakota because I think it's funny. <laughs> uh, but to get to know you a little bit better, I mean, probably one of the biggest moves that you've made, um, I would assume, in your life has been to jump from moving from Toronto to vancouver i don't think we've ever addressed it on the show i think we have mentioned it a couple times when i was ragging on vancouver (laughs) but um do you want to talk a little bit about why you made that move and kind of your thought process behind that and how it's been working out for you uh yeah sure um 
I I used to work doing e-commerce logistics. That's what my background was. And uh, I lost my job at the beginning of the pandemic and got a part-time job somewhere else. And that was never going to be a full-time thing. I was trying to get back into what I was doing, even though I hate it doing e-commerce logistics. (laughs) Uh, It was something I sort of just fell into and was good at it, despite me hating it. (laughs) Uh, And my wife and I were talking about how we kind of wanted maybe a bit of a change in our lives and we didn't know what that change was going to be. And I have two brothers that live out in Vancouver and I'd visit them twice before for work trips. And Steph's sister also doesn't live in Ontario either anymore. She had moved out with, to be with her now husband in Saskatchewan. And so I was like, well, our family's kind of moving all over the place anyways. Like, why don't we move? So we had, well, earlier in a relationship, we had looked in a few different places of, of moving, different countries, what have you. Um, and then during the pandemic, after I lost my job, and we were just like, hey, what about Vancouver? And it was like, Haha, yeah, what about Vancouver? Let's, we should think about doing that. And then we just kind of kept talking about, talking about it. And we're like, all right, so are we doing this? It was like, yeah, I think we are. So we had originally tried, I, it's now almost a year that mm-hmm. we've been out here. We had tried uh, about five or six months before, and we just couldn't secure a place that we liked. And so too many things were falling through, and we're like, th- this is a sign that we can't go through with this right now. We can we can look about, at it after the winter. But yeah, we we decided to hold off, and so we did it. We looked again in the springtime and we were able to find a place that we liked. And so we're like, all right, I guess we're doing this. We're moving to Vancouver. So that was sort of it. Uh, And then the other thing was looking for a career change. Um, During the pandemic, my wife was able to work from home, which was very nice. Uh, I was working a part-time job, so I could do literally anything that I wanted. At that point, I can work a different part-time job. I can go back to my old field. I could change industries. And so I decided to do something I kind of always wanted to do anyways. Uh, I went to to school originally for acting. uh, And so not acting because I've I've no longer do that, um, but work in the film industry. And so one of my brother's roommates works in the film industry. And he was like, hey, I can pass your number along. I can I can introduce you to people. I can't get you a job, but I can, you know, do the the legwork of introducing you to people. And so we did that. And sure enough, I, I managed to get work. And in film, if you're a good worker, it's very easy for you to get more jobs. And I think I am a hard worker. So that was the case. So I've been now working in film for almost a year. And do you want to tell the good people what exactly, well, let's talk about like what you're currently working on that is wrapping up. <laughs> sure. Uh, I've been working on the second season of the CW show Superman and Lois uh, as a PA, a production assistant. Uh, I'm also a alternate key PA, which means boss, basically, sort of, of the of the team. So on days when we have uh, either tandem units, which means we'll have two film units going on at the same time, so our team gets split in half, I will then be a key PA. Or if someone is, is sick or on holiday or whatever, I'll be the, I'm, I'm number four on the list. We have two keys every day. Um, so if someone, the first person's away, then number three moves up and two people are away or whatever. If we're split up, I become one as well. I'm also a van driver. So I have a work vehicle and, and all that fun stuff. So I get to carry 
uh, gear on my van and bring it home every night. Uh, right now, over while we're recording this on this weekend, it is mostly filled with garbage cans and heaters. <laughs> working on so you've weights. you've done Superman Lois, and then you were working on a uh, oh, what's his name, Mike Flanagan. Um, yes. bit before that. So you've done a, a few things now being somebody who does love filmmaking so much. And like, you like the process of, of how movies are made, not just watching them, but you're curious about how they're made working behind the scenes. Has that helped? Like, has that increased your appreciation for it? Or is it a situation of like, you don't want to know how the sausage is made? Like, has the magic been ruined for you basically of filmmaking? I love it. Yeah. There's some good. people on my team uh, and, and people that will I'll ta- talk about my work days and stuff like that, they'll hear stories or see stuff if we're at work and they're kind of like, ah, oh, kind of, you know, ruins it all for me. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, what? This is, this is crazy. This is, this is cool seeing, you know, the behind the scenes stuff and, um, and how, and how things are made. And I enjoy watching how this sausage is made because it's a very <laughs> interesting thing watching the technique and seeing, you know, for certain things, how many different departments something crosses just to get something done uh, in order to, to work together to to build everything and, and how many people a film set requires for a high-end production. I've been very fortunate. The two things that I've worked on, um, Superman Lois for this season and the Mike Flanagan show, it's a, it's, a, it's a Netflix show called Midnight Club that is not out yet. It should be out sometime later this year, I imagine. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know Mike Flanagan, his he's known for Midnight Mass, the big hit there, and he directed uh, the Shining uh, sequel um, uh, called Doctor Sleep uh, with Ewan McGregor a few years ago. Those are the things that he's most known for, and both these productions are, are pretty high end value as far as there's a lot of money involved. So I get to see some pretty cool, you know, camera equipment, uh, rigging devices, lighting devices, all the sort of stuff that I know I haven't worked on smaller budget things. If I go and do that, which I'll probably end up doing that in the hiatus, uh, between seasons of Superman Lois this summer, uh, I will, I'll sort of get to experience my first, uh, real foray of what like more movie making on a budget looks like. Cause there's things that we have on our set where it's like, I can't believe they're spending this much money for this, for something that, you know, the audience might not notice or, you know, is only going to be on screen for two seconds or whatever it is like ridiculous. And you're just like, wow, this is crazy how much money gets spent on film sets sometimes, but it's really cool. Like getting to see, um, camera cranes and, uh, and, and how amazing that is, or the stuff that the rigging department builds or the lighting setup. You, you just marvel at like how impressive all this gear is. And that's something I really enjoy. And so like, you're not supposed to take pictures on film sets. If you do, you can't really share them, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, sometimes I have taken a few pictures. Shh, I hope my bosses aren't listening to this, uh, but I, I am respectful. It's not like I, I film the actors while they're performing and stuff like that. It'll just be like, Oh wow, look at this set that they build. I, I kind of need a picture of this set. Cause it looks so cool. Uh, so I, I love it. Like when they, when they build a set in our studio and you go inside and you kind of forget that you're in a studio, that's, that's where the real magic sort of is for me. Like we've got like a bar set and you walk in and you're like, I feel like I'm at a real dive bar. This is, this is crazy how realistic this all feels between 
you know, the set construction, the the set decoration, the props, the lighting that goes into it, all that sort of stuff, just like the, the painting, because that's a different department. You got, you got construction, you got paint, and all that put together, it just, like, blows my mind every time. The amount of detail that I think is put into television shows and movies, it can go very underappreciated. But the thing is, like, if those details weren't there, then you would feel like the set or something looks a little bit hollow. Um, and, but yet it's so like massively overlooked in my opinion, um, unless you're somebody like you or like me to an extent, um, when you really see the details, like, and you stop to look at the details on any given scene, it's like somebody really thought really hard about the the way that this bottle was put onto the set, like onto a bar, like somebody that was someone's job to really, really think it through of where it was going to go and, um, like what color the bottle was going to be, what, what angle it was going to be on, you know? And I, I love that stuff too. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And I always think it's really, really cool that that's what you get to do for a day job now. Like I know it's not always glamorous. I'm aware of that, but um, I think it's, it's such a cool way to be involved in the film industry. And I know that you, like you started off as, as an actor once upon a time. Um, so I think it's like, it's such a cool way of, of still being engaged in an industry that you clearly have a lot of love for and a lot of interest in as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And peeing is just sort of the, the start of the journey mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever career steps I end up taking next. I am too, including meeting like Flanagan, cause I would like to be his friend. So yes. you could set that up for me. That'd be great. Yeah, he does shoot all the stuff out in Vancouver. I know, I know, but I should, and I do have a, a very good friend of mine lives in Vancouver now, or at least temporarily. So um, I should probably go visit her more often because she has an extra room for me. So that, that's quite nice. Um, all right, we're going to wrap this up because I think this is going on a little longer than I anticipated it would, but it's been really fun to talk about a bit of the show, a bit of yourself and everything like that. So let's wrap it up with a couple questions about ContraZoom and kind of um, similar to the best or your not your best movie, your favorite movie. I want to know what your favorite episode or your favorite series or segment, however you want to call it, that you've ever done on the show um, and why. And so when I, when we say favorite, we've been over this, like it's a different interpretation of it. And especially for something you've created, I mean, maybe it's something how you're really happy with the way an ep- a particular episode turned out or just one that you really, really enjoyed putting together from the beginning of the inception of the idea to the execution of it. So if you had to pick one or a few, like obviously don't just don't, you don't have to just pick one. Um, what's your favorite episode? <laughs> I never. Yeah. Of um, the podcast that you've, you've done so far. Yeah, I, I've been I've been really proud with a lot of the stuff that we've done. I like doing the recurring stuff. I really liked going through all the best picture winners. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I love covering film festivals. The A twenty four retrospective has been really cool to nail down sort of uh, a very consistent structure for the episode and how we can plug in new guests and we know what the structure is going to look like and, and how that goes. Like now when we send the email off to the guests, I'm like, hey, this is what it is. We just basically are, are removing the title and adding yeah. <laughs> the new one of the next episode. It's great that we've we've locked down our format for that so much and, and so much of that is because of, of, of your help with that. And so that's been a great one. But I think... Overall, my favorite show I've ever done 
was at the end of the 20 teens, I did a best of the decade mega episode. It was two episodes. And so I had asked, I don't know. I feel like it was close to to 20 people that are, you know, film podcasters, film reviewers, stuff like that. The people that have been guests on the show to uh, make a list of their 25 favorite films from the 2010 decade. And I made a list and made a, and, and weighted it. So you get 25 points for your first pick, 24 points for your second pick and so forth all the way down. And then from there, tabulate it all and, and figure out what was the best movie. And then I asked a bunch of the people that submitted ballots to submit voicemails for those movies. And so I would that that were on their list so that they were championing movies that they already love. So it was very easy. And so this was a, a solo episode back in my solo time. And so it, I did probably about half of them. And then the other half of these top 50 movies were voicemail. So it was really nice being able to be like, hey, I'm going to talk about this movie. And now I'm going to throw to this voicemail and this voicemail and this voicemail. Now it's back to me. And now it's back to someone else. And, and inserting clips and all that sort of stuff. I think I did a really great job with the editing. And I actually planned that episode for almost a full year from inception of idea to actually recording and editing it and, and releasing it. It took almost a year to do. Wow. And by the time it came out, it was something I was very happy and proud with. And, and I think it's some of the best work on this show. I'll be honest. I haven't listened to that episode. I'll have to go back and take a, take a gander of it. My personal favorite episode of episodes, yours, 93 and 94, 93 and 94. Thank you. I probably will have to ask you about that again. Um, but <laughs> I'll say my favorite episodes that I th- uh, episode that you did um, is about a twenty four, and it was the history of of this the um, the company. That's probably it. my second favorite after those. I ones. really enjoyed that. It was so well researched. Like the script you wrote was really really tight, and it wasn't um, it wasn't like a superficial look at the company either, and it was edited really well together. Like you, you talked about the Oscar wins and all that kind of stuff. Um, I really enjoyed that episode. That's one that I think I, that was the one that I listened to before I reached out to you because I wanted to see what your podcast was, and I listened to that one. And I remember thinking, "Oh, I really like this. Like he knows what he's talking about." And then that's when I reached out to you, and I was like, "Oh, like how about it?" stranger <laughs> on the internet who i don't actually know um but yeah like i that's i i need to listen to those couple 93 and 94 i will and everybody else should as well it's a nice little plug link for to a it few. in the show notes yeah <laughs> oh no that's a youtube thing i was gonna say look in the description but that's more of a youtube thingy although we do have a youtube channel so there you go um yeah. it'll uh, be it'll be there too yeah <laughs> So for the last question um, of this, and we're just going to give uh, kind of share some of the love we've been very complimentary of one another in this episode. So let's kind of turn it to outwards other than ContraZoomPod, other than the friends of the show, which you can also find on the ContraZoomPod.com website. Do you have a favorite podcast other than it, it can be movies? It doesn't have to be film, though. Like, I know you're into hockey and you have obviously other interests as well. Um, you already mentioned film spotting, which you said you already listen that you still continue to listen to. Um, so other than that, what are some of your favorite podcasts that you listen to? Yeah, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and they basically follow into two categories movie related and hockey related. There you go. <laughs> That's basically it. Um, and then, like, uh, a couple music ones where they're not as frequent in my rotation, but uh, yeah, film spotting is a big one. The A twenty four podcast I really like theirs. 
you know, we've got a bunch of friends of the show where I'd be remiss if I didn't shout them out. Please watch this. Scare introducing first round flick, best actress, house of cinema, uh, author Oscars desk, death race podcast, bad game movies. Like there's so many that I'm, I'm such a big fan of. And then awesome as far Friday as the fucking as well. ones. Yes. Awesome Friday. Yes. I, I, I can't forget Matthew there. Um, I would say as far as hockey ones, I, I listened to two main ones and they're both mostly leaf Toronto Maple Leaf related. And it's the Steve Dangle podcast and the leaf report on the athletic. Uh, yeah, I, I am obsessed with the Leafs almost as much as I'm obsessed about movies, which is very, is if anyone was wondering how my level of, of obsession is about. And conversely, I really don't like the Toronto Maple Leafs. So there you go. I have a, I, I actively yes, dislike make them that well known. as an organization. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why, but it's more of a, a, I was always annoyed growing up that the Leafs always took center stage, even in the middle of summer. Like we can talk about the Blue Jays on TSN. It doesn't always have to be about the Leafs. So I was always very annoyed growing up around nothing but Leafs and with very little love for the, the Jays until they started playing well again in like 2015. And then Toronto seemed to, go back on it but i'm not bitter about that at all it's fine you can have your leafs it's not like they win anything anyways it's absolutely fine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean they seem to be having a good year this year but they had a good year last year too didn't they yes that is accurate <laughs> <laughs> they've had they've had many good seasons actually i don't know their playoffs is a different story but that's neither here nor there we don't have to talk about the leafs on this show no well, thank you, Dakota, though. Um, I'm not sure if you wanted to end it off on me slagging off the Leafs, but that's how it's going to roll. Um, I really <laughs> enjoyed hearing about it because there's a lot of stuff that, I mean, like I said, kind of at some point in this episode, I could have just asked you about this at some point. And I think I have asked you a few times about different points about the show just to kind of get used to it, but or just trying to get a bit more information and a bit more insight. Um, but I definitely learned a great deal um, about where you're coming from in making this podcast and I've always really enjoyed being a part of it. I know, you know, when we first started, I was a bit hesitant as whether or not I wanted to actually join on um, permanently. And that was just more of my commitment situations of thinking, well, what if at some point I don't want to do it anymore? And I would have felt really bad about that, but it's been an incredible amount of fun over the last year and onwards and upwards to more and greater and better episodes and greater and better things for both of us. (laughs) <laughs> well, I agree, and, and I'm so happy that uh, you did come on full time. Um, and thank you for asking me all these questions. Yeah, it's. I feel like most of the stuff has probably been covered in bits and pieces throughout the years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if anyone's maybe a newer listener or what have you. It's probably nice to have everything in one compact segment that if anyone wants to go back and kind of find the hi- the real history of, of the show and how it's evolved that this is probably a good place for them to to go and check out that we can easily point in that direction Absolutely. Um, between this one and, and yours as well and really kind of understand who we are as as movie watchers and sort of behind the scenes how this show works definitely so i will um End this on the the usual spiel that I do. Uh, Rachel, where can listeners find you and more of your work? And go to rachelkh.com. And my Twitter is underscore rachelkh. And my Instagram, but I don't really use my Instagram too much. Anybody who follows me knows that. 
So there you go. <laughs> that's that's very true. Uh, I I do follow you and know that you don't post very often, <laughs> unlike me. Um. Okay. Uh, and then you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoom Pod. And if you found this episode interesting or not, you can send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. I've got no intro for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, am I supposed to say? Okay, hold on. Can we stop for a second then? <laughs> yeah, Sorry, <sure. laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs>